Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Thank you for joining this National Osteoporosis Foundation podcast. Today, we are joined by Sherry Betts, a member of the NOF Ambassadors Leadership Council. Sherry is a physical therapist, PMA certified Pilates teacher, and a geriatric certified specialist. Sherry specializes in exercise programs for older adults and teaches community-based classes for osteoporosis, balance, and fall prevention. Sherry began her movement career as a national gymnastics competitor and as a group fitness instructor and personal trainer for Nautilus Fitness Centers. Inspired by the work of a physical therapist in one of the clubs where she trained, she pursued a degree in physical therapy. Her love of movement education has been integrated into her physical therapy practice at a rehabilitative level and at a fitness level. Utilization of Pilates, yoga, and gyrotonic with the specialty in the treatment of the pelvic girdle and manual therapy of the spine and pelvis are integral in her practice as a physical therapist. We're so pleased to have you here today, Sherry. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad to be here. So as we approach 2021, many people will be obviously setting up some New Year's resolutions to improve their health. Today, we're going to be focusing on some of the simple ways you can improve your health through movement specifically safety and exercise for osteoporosis and bone health. And I know that we're just thrilled you can be here and share your expertise with us on these topics. So let's get started. One of the basic questions we get from people is, should you exercise if you have osteoporosis and why? Absolutely. It's so important to exercise, not just for the sake of doing exercise for your cardiovascular health, but if you don't, keep moving and keep strengthening. I always tell people if you're not progressing, you're regressing. So making sure that you're progressing in your movement skills and strength training skills is just as important as doing say stretching and a walking program or cardiovascular fitness. Because what builds muscle also builds bones. And if your muscles get weak, your bones are also likely weak. That's so true. I love that progressing. If you're not progressing, you're regressing. Isn't that true in yeah, everything? So like, <laughs> true for our physical health. Use it right? a bit, right? <laughs> yeah. And so when we talk about exercise for osteoporosis at any age, we talk to people about two types of exercise that are important for building and maintaining bone density, the weight bearing and the muscle strengthening exercise. Can you talk a little bit about each of those and maybe provide some examples for each? Yes, absolutely. Weight-bearing exercise is really important because we need those gravitational forces on our bones as we move through life. If you could think about different bones and how they respond, you might think about your skull bones or your arm bones. They don't really require weight-bearing to stay strong. Um, You might even get stronger if you're ill and using your arms more to get in and out of bed. And while your legs start to weaken, because of the lack of weight bearing, then your arms will actually get a little bit stronger as you rehabilitate from a, from an illness. Every bone has a different response to forces on it. 
And like I said, you don't need to stand on your head in order to build bone in your skull, but you do have to stand on your feet in order to keep your bones healthy in your legs. Your spine also needs some weight-bearing force as well. Your legs and your, especially the neck of the femur, where the neck of the femur makes a turn in towards the hip, that is the most vulnerable area for fractures and for osteoporosis to occur. It's made of that trabecular bone that is more like a honeycomb inside. And if someone falls, especially directly onto the hip, that bone is very vulnerable to fracture because of that impact that is unusual for that bone. That bone's not designed to to accept force that way. So when you fall directly onto a hip, that bone is much more vulnerable to fracture. And if you fell onto outstretched hands or, or fell forward, you're less likely to break the hip. And if you fall directly on your side or directly backwards onto the hip, landing on it there. So that bone is what we're always trying to target with things like lunges and squats and leg extension exercises that are targeting the muscles all around that hip, especially those large muscles like the glute muscles and gluteus maximus and the hamstrings and the quadriceps. Those will help to build bone in the femur or that long bone. A lot of people get mixed up about the neck of the femur. I, even yesterday, I was doing a consultation with, I might just go on and say that when someone is looking at, say, their bone density and they look at their spine and then they look at the scores in their hip and they look at those T-scores, I find that a lot of people will be alarmed about the spine and, and they have concerns about the scores in the spine and the hip. Sometimes with degenerative disc disease and bone loss that happens in the spine, the bone density can actually look like it's increasing in the spine because mm. of the osteophyte development around the vertebrae. And people get a little confused about, oh, well, my bone density is increasing when they're actually losing two to three inches of height. Their spine is becoming more wedge-shaped and they're getting more of the osteophyte development due to the disc disease. So I would like to explain that the bones of the spine respond to forces on them and that can't be used as well as a barometer for how their bone is doing. And the doctor will often use the hip as more of a, an indicator for how your bone health is overall. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that as far as, particularly like you said, the neck of the hip bone versus what we talk about, what regular people think of the, yes. of the neck. So, so, that really talks about the importance of the weight-bearing exercises, you said, and the kind of exercises that, that are good for that, the squats and the leg extensions, et cetera. What about muscle strengthening exercise and what role do those types of exercise play in our bone health? Yes, what builds muscle builds bone. And as I was saying before, the leg muscles, the large leg muscles that we do squats and lunges and then we do all kinds of variations of those. So you can't be that creative with your leg strengthening, but the muscles of the glutes and the hamstrings and the quadriceps, strengthening those also helps strengthen that bone underneath those muscles. It, with the spine, it's a little trickier because those cylinder-shaped bones are inside the body and there's not really any muscle attachments to them. So I have a, a theory about why people have such bone loss in osteoporosis in the upper back and the thoracic area or the spine is because of the migration forward of the head. So the head starts coming forward of the body. The upper back muscles start to weaken 
and allow that curvature to get worse and worse over time, the vertebrae start to collapse downward. One thing that happens when the head goes forward, then the muscles get stretched out and people are kind of depending on their spine and just kind of hanging on the bones of their spine to hold themselves up in space. Instead of holding themselves up, like lifting the chest up and using those back muscles to hold the head over the body, um, people are just allowing that head to come forward. That also shuts off the abdominals and you start to get the belly that protrudes and the weakness of the abdominal wall. Even if we're if at home right now, if you're standing up and you try this, you put your hand on your low belly and you just let your head go forward and feel how the belly will start to bulge outward. And then if you draw your head back into alignment with your body, trying to get your ears over your shoulders, or you stand against a wall and try to get your head back, you'll notice that the back muscles kind of kick in a little bit and the abdominal muscles will also turn on just by having your head in the right position of your body. And that helps to strengthen the upper back muscle. Yeah, I just did that. Did you right. It worked? The head, the, head, the, head, the head protruding, you're right. The head protruding all automatically makes your belly go out. And then if you do yeah. proper posture, that support is there. That's a really great thing to explain to people. That's so important. That's awesome. Right. And, and you know, you, we mentioned something. Yeah, there's also a correlation with back muscle strength and bone strength of the spine. So the bone density of the spine correlates to stronger back muscles. So you want to be able to always lie on your stomach and lift your chest up off the ground. And especially putting, if you're going to lie on your stomach, you want to put a pillow under your ribs and make sure that you're strengthening properly and not just lifting up your head. You keep your eyes down and you lift your chest to strengthen those back muscles. And that's what's going to help you with building bone in your spine or at least preventing fracture in your spine, preventing that forward roundness in the upper back. When you say that, like, so the lying down with the lifting your chest off the floor, that's mm-hmm. very different from a crunch, right? We're not talking right, about a crunch right. movement, right? Right. You're on your stomach. You've got a, a pillow under your lowest ribs and under your belly. And then you place your hands under your forehead. And the first thing I ask people to do is to see if they can lift their chest and head up off their hands, but keep mm-hmm. their eyes on their thumbs. So your hands are kind of stacked up under your forehead and you press up, pulling the head and throat back, looking down at your thumbs, and then mm-hmm. see if you can lift that chest up and hold it in space. Then can you lift your hands off the floor? And most people have a really hard time doing that. And, yeah. I, and because of all these people I've evaluated over the years and seeing how weak people are in the upper back, there seems to be a strong correlation with the, especially the forward, the kyphosis of the spine and that flex mm-hmm. upper back and the forward head posture and low bone density as well. Uh, I'm sure there's really a relationship with that. that. I know Wendy Katzman of UCSF has done a lot of research on thoracic kyphosis and exercise to reduce that kyphosis as well. That's really good. And that's really good for everybody at every age, right? Because strengthening our back muscles, right. no matter what age and what you know, level of bone density you might have, that's going to be good for all people. Right, right. It helps with shoulder function and neck function. Like usually with neck pain and shoulder pain, the first thing I'm going to do is start working on that thoracic extension so that, that what the shoulder sits on and what the head sits on is more in alignment, right? Instead of forward mm-hmm. and rounded. Shoulders rounded mm-hmm. forward, head forward. It's going to put a lot of strain on your back, but it also weakens the back muscles, allowing them to just kind of sit forward and you're just kind of collapsing into your body. 
And if you use Mm -hmm. your back muscles appropriately, it's going to bring that head back, bring the shoulders back, and then also hopefully strengthen the bones of your spine. That's terrific. So uh, kind of leading into my next question then, since that, as you said, lying on your stomach and doing that back exercise is probably a great thing for bone health. What other types of exercise are best for health or for bone health? What other, if you had to give like, two other examples of, a, of an exercise that people should do to, for bone health, what would, it, what would they be? Yeah, I think that a lot of people think that walking is going to help them with their bone health and walking is not enough of a stimulus to build bone density. So if you're trying to build bone density, it's not that you don't want to walk, it's that you don't want to depend on walking to help you build bone density. You need dynamic impact as you increase in your strength. Now, I don't give people dynamic impact at the beginning of their program, but you want to progress to the point where you have good alignment, good body awareness, your balance is improving, and then we start adding some dynamic impact. And things like doing maybe a Zumba class or doing a jazzercise class or some kind of a class where you are on your feet and you're doing dynamic side stepping and stepping in all directions. Step aerobics, I think, should come back. It's such a great form of exercise. Mm -hmm. And it's not really in vogue right now, but exercise becomes so fab, like, you know, things come, things go. But uh, I want to bring that back. I think that would be a great thing. And um, really adding like sidestepping, balancing. We do crossover stepping. We do something called a compass lunge where you step forward and then step together, step side and together, then step back and together. And then we cross over and together. So if you were standing on a compass, you're thinking of going north, east, south, west and going in different Mm -hmm. directions. And I love things like that to to start with some dynamic sort of weight bearing and balancing because you don't want to just do static balancing. You want to do dynamic balancing. I like to have people Mm. kind of think of preparing for the unexpected because that's how falls happen. So if we think of crossing over to step or step over something as you're practicing in your classes. So I'm always adding some kind of unusual sidestepping activities so that people are used to doing that and can catch themselves more quickly. That's that been the feedback sense. from a lot of my classes is that a lot of people that have been in my classes said, yeah, I almost took a fall the other day. It's like a close call, but I feel like because I'm stronger, because I'm more mm-hmm. agile, I'm more mobile, I caught myself. Or That's I fell great. and I fell and I was able to catch myself more easily and prevent any injury. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's what we're hoping for is that you, you prepare for the unexpected with your exercise program. That's a good thing to tell people for sure. And like you said, sometimes it is that crossover step or the misstep or the stepping up. You know, mm-hmm. that tends to be when people have those falls. So we've talked about the exercises that are good for people to build bone and to manage their bone health. What are some types of exercise or movements that someone with osteoporosis should avoid? Yeah, that's a a good list to think about. The main activity, such as cycling or swimming, have been actually shown in several studies to deplete bone density. So people that do a lot of cycling, and this is not just casual cycling or casual swimming, but people that actually are competitive swimmers or competitive cyclists have been shown to have less bone density than normal subjects who don't even do a professional exercise program that just Normal, not sedentary, but normally active subjects as a control group have been shown to have better bone density than people that do cycling or swimming. 
There's also an interesting study on water polo players who showed losses of bone density in their hip and gains in their arms during the competitive season. So that was really interesting to see that even though you're pedaling fast in the water and you're doing the egg beater motion and you're working very hard in the water, that anti-gravity environment of the water, the buoyancy of the water seems to not be so great for bone health. So that being said, you want to choose a walking program over a cycling program to get your cardiovascular exercise. If If you're really concerned about your bone density and that is your primary goal, I wouldn't choose swimming or cycling for your cardiovascular activity. Which is walking, hiking, some type of elliptical, stairmaster, those type of activities mm-hmm. on your feet are going to be a better choice for your exercise program. And then okay. other activities like movement-wise would be things like doing a forward fold in yoga, so standing at the beginning of class and bending forward. Probably not a great idea for anybody to just be cold, walk into a room and start doing forward bending where you're just having your knees straight and you hang forward and reach down and touch your toes. That used Mm -hmm. to be sort of a sign of health and it's not really a great idea. I always tell people, no one goes into a nursing home because they can't touch their toes, right? Right. They go into a nursing home because they can't get out of a chair. (laughs) Um, Right, that's right. So, and then the windmill, the typical old-fashioned exercise warm-up that we used to do where your legs are apart and you reach down and touch your right hand to your left foot with your knees straight. And we call that the windmill. That would not be a great idea. Certainly no bouncing toe touches. Things like a yoga pose where you're doing a sun salutation series, you can certainly do that without the forward bend. You can take that out and make it a hip hinge. So you're keeping your spine straight. I always tell people to put a dowel on their back and then have it touch the head, mid back and sacrum, and then do a bow forward at their hips so that they keep the dowel on those three points of contact. You can always check any activity to see if it's safe if you put the dowel on your back and then try it. And so if you can do your yeah. sun salutation series with dowel on your back, you're probably okay. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to do an upward facing dog with that, but you could do it that way. The other one that is a big, big culprit is to lie on your back and do either crunches, regular sit-ups, the Pilates roll-up, or a rollover, also known as a plow in yoga or the shoulder stand in yoga. I would say the plow and the shoulder stand would probably be the worst activities to choose if you have low bone density because they are putting a loaded flexion or forward bending force on your spine with your pelvis loading over your head. So very, very detrimental for the spine if someone has low bone density and then chooses to do that, that activity. Not it's a important for people... It's important for people to know, though, Sherry, too, that there are safe ways to do yoga yeah. and Pilates, right? They're good for oh, uh, balance. And you've, you've provided for NOF a lot of these resources, which we'll make sure that, that people have access to after listening to this podcast, too. But we get that question a lot, right? How safe are yoga and Pilates? So can we talk about the benefits of yoga and Pilates? And then kind of covers what we shouldn't do. So what's the benefit of, for people to do yoga and Pilates? Right. I love the emphasis of body awareness, coordination, breathing, and alignment in yoga and Pilates. I think that is such a benefit to everyone, especially as we're aging, wonderful activity to do. And I don't want to discourage people from doing yoga and Pilates, but a traditional yoga or Pilates class may not be safe for someone with osteoporosis. 
and all teachers don't always know the modifications. So really going into a class to and have your guidelines really inherent, learning your own body's guidelines and learning the guidelines for yourself so you can be confident that what you're doing is safe is really important if you're going to participate in yoga and Pilates. And then I've shown people multiple modifications in various handouts, various videos, and some of the DVDs that are produced are a full yoga class with, that is safe and helpful for people with osteoporosis. I also put together a full Ashtanga yoga series for a patient who was a yoga teacher and she was a, a practitioner and teacher of the Ashtanga method where there is mm-hmm. a lot of forward bending and twisting and very deep stretching poses in that method. And we took the entire sequence and created modifications for her and helped her emphasize what she needed to work on with the back extension component. And she went from being somebody that was in pain almost after every yoga class, thinking that she was you know, doing the right thing, to having, being pain-free and actually getting stronger and improving her posture and her balance. It's an amazing process to be part of because I think that the inherent foundations of yoga and Pilates are excellent for well-being and health. It's just that we have to take out some of the precautionary exercises that involve forward bending of the spine and the twisting. And the rest of it's really great. The balancing aspect, the mobility aspect of the hips and the feet and the ankles, the shoulders is great in both yoga and Pilates. But we just have to be sure that we're not doing those exercises that would compress the vertebral bodies of the spine. That makes total sense. Yeah. And like I said, that's so important for people, particularly as those two types of exercise became so popular. And again, like I said, there's so many health benefits to it. People really want to do it, but it can be done. We just, like you said, you have mm-hmm. to modify and know what's happening. Right. You know, you mentioned earlier about consulting and I, I know wanted to ask this. If, so if someone thinks they have osteoporosis, so they've been given a diagnosis of osteoporosis, they have their T-scores and stuff like that. Is that something they should bring to you to a physical therapist before they are, now they've been, for any reason, been told that, that they need to go to a physical therapist for evaluation. Should they share those scans with you? Or That's always they, very you know, helpful. Yeah. I don't have to have the scans because I can still teach someone how to protect their spine, how to protect their hip. But sometimes people have, say, low bone density in their spine and normal bone density in their hip or vice versa. I can target the exercise program to really affect that area if they have one area that they're really wanting to kind of focus in on. Other than that, I think it's important too because I've often found that I spend a lot of time with people explaining like where the bone density is lost and what can help it. And so showing mm-hmm. them the x-ray and really sitting down with them because sometimes mm-hmm. they haven't had that consultation that explains everything thoroughly. And sometimes they have some questions about it if they haven't mm-hmm. had anybody sit down with them and explain it. So I often find that that's a great opportunity to help them understand how the bone density works. And then sometimes people would benefit from a vertebral fracture assessment as well as the Mm -hmm. bone density scan too. So we can look Mm -hmm. at that and look also at the shapes of the vertebrae. And sometimes the assessment of the vertebral fracture 
of the thoracic spine can actually give them a lot bigger picture of what's happening in their spine too. So I just find it's a great opportunity to educate them and Mm -hmm. to go a little bit more in depth with explaining the results that sometimes doesn't happen when they get sent the result in the mail and maybe they didn't get their follow-up or because of the pandemic, they might not be going in to see their doctor. Right. And we can give them a a great little follow-up explanation and just kind of piggyback onto whatever the bone dysautometrist has told them or the doctor if they've had a follow-up. Yeah, that's great. I didn't think about that, but that's a really great job for I people to make sure that, yeah, that they pass along that to the physical therapist as their starting routine. Here's a question then, Sherry, that we get all the time, as you know, at NOS. People are always asking if they can reverse osteoporosis with exercise. Yeah, that's a big one. There are some studies out there that have shown some changes and some increases in bone density after starting just an exercise program. It is very challenging to to have somebody comply for one year with just an exercise program that is not changing anything else. So we hold sometimes exercise research up to the standards of, say, drug research, because Mm -hmm. if you give somebody a meditation, it's pretty easy to tell if they've taken it. You can check their bloodstream, (laughs) you can check their blood level, and see how they're doing with it, and you can tell if they've been compliant or not tough to do with exercise as much as we'd love to, but to get somebody to comply with a one-year program of exercise is challenging. That's the number one thing, why there's not as much research on exercise as we would like. And the other thing is being consistent, you know, with exercise and having the same teacher teaching the same way, you know, really making sure it's consistent and are they actually doing the exercises correctly? That's another thing. So mm-hmm. those are the kind of drawbacks to exercise research. But the good news is that there are some studies out there on high-intensity strength training that are showing benefits and increases. And there is some fairly weak, I think, yoga research out there that has shown some increases, self-reported increases in bone density. And they're mostly looking, exercise usually is looking at professional athletes and cohorts of like people swimmers, mm-hmm. athletes that are doing, say, water polo, weight training, mm-hmm. things like that. There's all those studies mm-hmm. on runners, swimmers, and cyclists, things like that. But what I've seen in my practice with bone density is that when I bring a person in, I look at their past DEXA scans, I look at their past medical history, I look at their medications to see what they're taking. And as soon as they come to me, if they can, if I can put them into a case-by-case study group, then I look at how they're done, they've done after a year, but they can't be taking any medication. If they're taking medication, we can't really know if we're attributing the gains to either the medication or the exercise. So someone mm-hmm. can't really start an exercise program and then start medications and know whether or not the exercise is increasing their bone density. So I have to have somebody that's not taking medication that is going to comply with an exercise program for six months to a year and then until they get their next bone density study. Mm-hmm. But I've had many patients who have shown gains. The, the highest I've ever seen is 6%. I had one mm-hmm. patient that gained 15% in one year. That was an anomaly, I'm sure. She was one of my earliest ones. And I thought, yeah. wow, this is the golden you know, holy grail. But she plateaued after that. And then she was very young. She was in her 40s when she came to me. But I've had, I would say, hundreds of patients over the last 20 years who have 
shown gains in their bone density after doing an exercise program. But again, it's not a randomized controlled trial. And, right, uh, right. Studies are few and far between, unfortunately, that have shown great benefits. But people right. can gain, but I wouldn't say you can reverse the whole process of osteoporosis just with exercise because it's a multifactorial right. condition. Right. And I think people and, but are, you also, you know, thinking, oh, I'm just going to exercise and I'm going to get my bone density to improve. Right. But we know, too, that the medications treatment, the medical treatment works better when patients are doing exercise and concentrating on their nutrition as well, that we need both of those. Again, it is kind of a holistic approach to building Mm -hmm. and treating osteoporosis and bone loss. So it plays such an important role. Yeah, I want to add something about that because there was a really interesting study on paraplegics who were taking Fosamax. And the ones that were doing standing in the standing frames had better results than those that were just sedentary. So even the, like you said, the osteoclastic inhibitor medications work much better when people are actually doing exercise and remodeling their bones in a natural way. They have better responses. So I'd love that to see more research on that. Yeah. 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 That makes perfect sense too. And another great reason to do some type of safe movement and exercise at every stage of life because, again, there's so many health benefits, but particularly for our bones. So we covered so much today, Sherry, in such a short amount of time, but is there anything that I left out or anything else you'd like to share before we... Yeah, share one more thing. One of the things that I talk about with a lot of the doctors that present at the NOF conference is people that come in that don't want to take the medication. That is, I know that's one of the biggest issues with trying to get people to take their medications because of some of the side effects and some of the Mm -hmm. internet sort of (laughs) chat boards and things that people report the negative side effects. But I think people really want a chance to see if changing their lifestyle can make a difference. And we've discussed this a lot with the physicians that I work with very closely in that they, Sally Jones wants to improve her bone density and she feels like she's been under a lot of stress. She's been caring for a family member. She's not been taking care of herself. She's not sleeping well or eating right. She's not been taking the calcium and she wants an opportunity to see if she can build her bone density by cleaning up her lifestyle. So we do those kind of four factors, exercise, nutrition, sleep, managing stress so that when people are not sleeping well, their cortisol levels are usually high and their serotonin is low. And that's one of the things that we know depletes bone density is high cortisol levels and high stress. And so lots of times people just go, let me just have a chance to see if I can make a lifestyle change and really start doing the things that are going to help my bone density. And let's look at it again in a year. And if I'm declining, then definitely take the medication. And if I'm stabilized or increasing, and maybe I can stay on this track for another year and monitor it very closely. And that's something that I know that some of the doctors that I've worked with appreciate is that I'm not negative about the medications and I don't ever you know, discourage people from taking the medication if they need it, but at least giving them all the chance to make those lifestyle changes to see if that makes a difference in their bone density. And sometimes it can be an endocrine disorder or a digestive disorder that they need to do some more investigation about if they're not increasing in their bone density. 
that's a great way to wrap this up because I think those four pillars that you talked about just now, Sherry, the exercise and nutrition and good sleep and reducing stress are something that we can all look to in the new year to help improve our health. So let's all really commit to doing those things and again, see how much we can improve not only our bone density, but our overall health as well. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So osteoporosis is common and can be very serious. We know that about 54 million Americans have osteoporosis and low bone mass, placing them at increased risk for fractures and for longer-term osteoporosis and weakening of the bones. Studies suggest that approximately one in two women and up to one in four men over the age of 50 will break a bone due to osteoporosis in his or her lifetime. To learn more about prevention and treatment and the great options for safe movement and exercise that we talked about today with Sherry, please visit our website at www.nof.org. We'll also have links to the NOF resources and materials associated with this podcast. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining us today to share your insight and expertise on safe movement. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk as much as I enjoy talking with our guest, Sherry Betts. If you enjoyed this episode, please do two things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share it with your, all your family and friends. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.